With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, and welcome to another edition of Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here on the Troy Noons and Absolute Magician Podcast Network. I'm John Casillo, and I'm assuming Matt McCluskey is here. He is? Devilishly handsome Matt McCluskey. Okay, see, the problem is on the Wog Talk studio, it just gives me a number. So (laughs) it's really just me kind of playing guesswork at area codes. Ah. But, yeah, so uh here we are. This uh this last week has really uh really kinda of sucked. Sure uh, I'm sure you agree. Um, it's been interesting. <laughs> it's funny how the last like three years SU's basketball renaissance has been like five years roughly. For the last three years for a variety of reasons Syracuse has made national headlines a lot of the time for the wrong reason but there's just no doubt that SU is on the lips and the mouths and the words of a ton of basketball pundits across the country it's amazing how Bayheim with its antics and with SU and its issues and with its winning how everyone just continually talks about the orange which isn't necessarily great but it, it's kind of nice, a little refreshing that, you know, SU is at least in the queue to be talked about in a lot of these programs. Yeah, I think that does bring up an interesting point in general. You know, um, I've said this kind of repeatedly um, over the last few weeks that, you know, as much as we think that, like, you know, we were, I mean, we definitely weren't knocking on the door of, like, you know, being in the truly, like, elite, like, top five, perennial top five program, I don't think as a fan base we're just used to being the top of the conversation all the time. And I just feel like, especially given, you know, different eligibility issues recently and injuries and things like that, I just feel like we've, we're just kind of scared whenever we hear our name and it almost leads to these, like, really, like, negative reactions towards anyone just mentioning our name. <laughs> like, I think our, our policy as a fan base is just don't do it. It's, uh, it's very odd. The whole, the whole caboodle, I guess, when it comes to, oh, it's discussed with Syracuse. It's weird, and it's, um, it's different. I mean, it's without a doubt different, but I think... A lot of the discussion around Syracuse, and of course you had the Bernie Fine thing a couple of years ago, um, but when you factor everything in, a lot of that is 
a lot of the discussion on Syracuse is relevant because of this recent turnaround for the basketball program. And two things with that. One is it's consistently forever been great with Bayheim, and it's been consistently forever been one of those teams that can potentially win it all, always with 20 wins, always in the top 25. When I was young, Syracuse was consistently in the top 10. That certainly went away for a long period of time, and, and it's kind of back in the last five years or so. And it's really not even been top five, or top 10, it's been top five, which is just amazing and, and mind-blowing for a number of reasons, but um, I do think that it's interesting when you talk about the level of hype or publicity or whatever it is around Syracuse, a lot of it is due to the fact that it is winning. You know, there's been these weird sideshows, consistently wins, and I have a little small-time radio show here in the North Country. I had Bud Pollock went on a couple weeks ago, and he said, Matt, do you realize that if it wasn't for a weird, odd situation with Fab Mello, and if it wasn't for an injury to Arendi Anawaku, Syracuse would likely, not a guarantee, but would likely have been in three of the last Final Fours. And I've thought about it, I've written about it, and I've, you know, it's, it, we've all understood that, but to actually sit and chew on that for a second, that's amazing. I, it did not happen, and you can criticize that it didn't happen for a number of reasons, but the fact is, if extenuating circumstances hadn't reared their head, Syracuse would likely have been in, at the very least, three of the last five Final Fours. And that kind of goes back to the fact that everyone's got Syracuse in their mouth a little bit because it's like, oh, well, this team is winning. It's relevant. There's some controversy. Let's talk about it. So it's that old no press, bad press, whatever, but it's interesting that yeah, some of the discussion is negative with Syracuse, but the fact that it's happening is because Syracuse on the court is winning a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen, like, the full numbers, but I would assume over the last five or so years we're definitely in the top five most winningest programs in the country. I, I just and – and believe me, I, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself, it, but it is just – I've talked to other fan bases, and nobody necessarily can shed any light on – on this recent phenomena that, that we have going for us, and that is like, you know, our fan base doesn't want to hear you mention their name. Like, don't say Syracuse unless you're a Syracuse fan. Like, good, bad, doesn't matter. Like, if you're saying our name, you're jinxing us. If you're not, you're disrespecting <laughs> us. It just seems like we've become this group that just, you know, can't be satisfied, can't be, like, in any way, shape, or form, like, happy at any point. And I think that in the last two weeks now, that's been completely expounded by just what can only be described as a terrifying slate of games, which we've come out on top of more often than not, but nonetheless has really just kind of put us under the microscope as, you know, a top team that just, no matter what happens, we're just, we're down to the wire. And it's gotten really scary for me as a fan. I know that a lot of us were talking about it on the site on Monday night like, you know, I, I personally just hate this. I, I do. I, I hate it. I I don't want wins to feel like losses. I don't want, you know, my heart in my throat every single night. Like, I, I ask for things to be easy, and I know that, that that sounds foolish as a fan because you don't have any control over things to begin with, and things are rarely easy. But, you know, polling other fan bases, they, 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 they're all struggling to remember 
for any team, top or not, you know, one that just played this many tight, tight matchups in a row. And, and you know, I, I think for our players, I think it's taken a toll, um, whether we like it or not. I think for us as fans, it's taking a toll, uh, whether we like it or not. And I really think it's, it's, it's leading us to kind of reevaluate um, our, our really kind of, you know, lightning fast start to this season. You know, I don't subscribe to the theory of flying under the radar, and I know our our boss, Sean, seems to really enjoy when Syracuse, especially we all go back to 03. Everyone is in on 03 and how preseason there was a little hype surrounding the Orange and then, or the Orange men at the time, and then, of course, losing to Memphis, going off the radar, struggling a little bit in the early going of the Big East, and then catching fire. And it seemed to catch everyone by surprise and therefore, there, there weren't a whole lot of expectations on Syracuse in that season. And of course, it ended in title. So everyone almost thinks, I think there's this, this comment in how it's done. And that's definitely not the case. And I don't subscribe to that. If you're good enough, you're going to get a lot of praise. You're going to get a lot of hype. You're going to get a lot of criticism, just the same as the praise. And I'm totally fine with that. If Syracuse is not that good, if Syracuse is not good enough to win the championship, it won't. And it's going to lose, and it's going to lose games it should win, and it's going to lose in games that it shouldn't win. And, um, you know, I look at this and think it is a situation of either you can or you can't. And this last stretch of games, which, as you mentioned, Syracuse has actually looked pretty good, right? I mean, the BC game is the anomaly to, anomaly to me because Syracuse won at Pitt, which is always difficult, it played very well against Duke and won at Maryland, and it sets up Saturday's game, which is just massive, off the charts, potential big. It's not a must-win for Syracuse, but just the concept of winning that game will be so big for Syracuse. It's a potentially huge win. And the fact that that's still happening means that this team, despite its flaws and despite all the criticisms and that bright, bright, hot spotlight, is still really pretty good, and it really can win the championship. And I'm totally fine with all the criticisms that come with it because – as a team that's been in the top five, top ten the last five years, that should be expected. And in a lot of ways, that should be wanted. The fan base should say, we're not this sneaky good team that comes from nowhere and wins it. We're Syracuse. We have Jim Beheim. He's a Hall of Famer. We have all these national recruits. We're good. And simply, if you, if you can't, you won't. And I've, just, I've never subscribed to the theory of it's better to be sneaky good than just good. I would just be good and... If you win it all, great. If you don't, well, you've been in the national spotlight all year, and that's pretty fun. Well, I guess do you think, Matt, that at some point where we're going to get tired of being in the national spotlight without winning a national championship? I know, um, you know, you have a much better recollection of, you know, those perennial top ten days than I do. Um, you know, the perennial top five. Well, in general, I mean. No point in going to me as an expert source there when, when I can't shed light. But, um, you know, I, I just think that there's there's something to be said about, you know, this is how bad reputations get, get grown, for better or for worse, being in the national spotlight and not winning at all. I mean, at this point, like, this kind of era of Syracuse basketball is, is going on five years, and, you know, we've got one final four to show for it so far. Um to me, like, I think the media, and I complain about the media, don't get me wrong, but the media has actually left us alone in that regard 
um, largely. And I'm not sure how much how much longer that lasts. Like if this year doesn't doesn't at least result in a Final Four um, birth, because as we've said, like there's no such thing as gravy anymore. Like Sweet 16 is is now a bare minimum for this program. It's not it's not kind of a high watermark. And I'm just curious, like to get your kind of perspective on, you know, like remembering kind of some of the media outcry. It wasn't a 24-hour news cycle either then, but. No, yeah, it was, it was a much different scenario. I mean, if you go back to my wheelhouse, I, I guess my wheelhouse is the same as yours, really, if it's, you know, the last 10 years or so in terms of cognitive thought and being able to write what we see and talk about what we see. But when I grew up, Syracuse was most certainly a top five, top ten program facing the likes of the St. John's and the general, or the Georgetowns that were huge opponents and, and perennial, you know, on the cusp of winning it all. And Syracuse, of course, didn't win it all. And really back then, especially in the late 80s, the concept, the, the general narrative with Jim Beheim was, and this was legit, that he was a great recruiter and couldn't coach. And that was the full-on thought process, and it was just kind of one of those easy things you typed down, and that was it, and that was all. And everyone just believed it. And, of course, it was kind of backed up with a lot of flameouts. Maybe not first-round flameouts, which actually Syracuse does not have many of, but just losing games that it probably should win or making longer runs that it just didn't do. I don't necessarily think, though, that this tie – I think a fairly decent equivalent would be like a Michigan State. Tom Izzo has a fantastic record at Michigan State. He's one of the best coaches ever. His reputation is for getting his teams to the Final Four. That reputation is built on fairly fairly average regular seasons – with the buy-off, with the, the write-off of, well, they play tough schedules. And then it's usually, well, but look at what he does with his teams, and they get to the Final Four. And then from there on out, he's won one title. But his national rep has always been a great coach and gets his teams ready to get to the Final Four, despite the fact that they have one championship. And that's with, what, like six or seven berths in the Final Four. There, there's a substantial amount that he just has come up short on. I'm not criticizing him. I think he's a great coach. But I, this, uh, a similar narrative could be played with Syracuse in that, especially over the, just the last five years, Syracuse has had a lot of great teams, a lot of regular season success, and has not been able to get it done in a championship game, or at least in terms of winning the title. But there's been an Elite Eight, there's been a Final Four, there's been an academic issue, a massive injury. So I don't really think that the media is not delving into the topic of why haven't you gotten it done I think it's probably more sympathetic to the fact that the regular season's really long and really tough, and the NCAA tournament, especially when you have these certain, you know, just narrative or the, these variables of winning it all compared to injuries or academic issues or whatever else that can happen. I just think everyone is more understanding to the fact that March is a crapshoot, but what you do from November until March does show a little bit about the ability to coach and and the ability of a team. And I think I think people kind of understand that the regular season is one thing and the NCAA tournament is a totally different thing. And that narrative does eventually evolve. I know there's there's certainly groups of people out there that think Syracuse should have won one or two more championships under Bayheim and that's fine. But I think generally the large group of, of really knowledgeable college basketball fans realizes that 
NXT has been damn lucky to have Bayon, and these last five years have been an awful lot of fun, much more so than, you know, hardships. And I, 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 I don't know. I guess I'm biased in this uh, area, but I don't think Syracuse is underwhelming or not living up to expectation. I think it's been pretty damn good. Really damn good, especially when you look back in the mid-90s, after probation, after the scholarship restrictions. Lawrence Moton was the only bright spot for Syracuse for a couple of seasons. 96 happened. It was totally out of the blue to get to the championship game and play Kentucky. But those were really tough down times. Losing in the Sweet 16, Elite 8, or Final Four, or having an issue that causes you a championship, that's that's first-world problem. That's not a real issue. That's not something that you should give too to straw over, in my opinion. And in my opinion, I, other fans have their own expectation of the season and have their own right to think whatever they feel. But for me alone, I guess I kind of just remember the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and I say, hell, there's been a lot more winning than losing, and that's cool. If, it doesn't, if it's not a title, it's still damn cool. All right. I, I definitely expect I, – I accept, and to be honest, I, I agree with that point of view, um, at least for the most part. Um, my question for you now is, for you, you, and, and not the rest of the fan base, for you not to see this season as a disappointment, how far does this team have to go? That's a good question. That's a good question. <laughs> because it's so funny. I have a piece going up on, on Wednesday on the site about trying, you know, trying to explain all this, and I'm sure I don't do a good job. But, um, you know, I guess just the meat and the potatoes of that question, I think if Syracuse is not playing on the Saturday or Sunday before the Final Four, then that's that's a disappointment. That's a disappointment. You can be upset with that. And you can be upset with anything. You know, I'm not here to tell anybody not to get upset. Personally, I would not be happy. I would not cons- I would not consider everything because there's so many extenuated circumstances. I, I would not be happy. If if SU doesn't have a chance for the Final Four, if it's not at least the Elite Eight, then you probably can consider it a, a, a waste. Not a waste. You can consider it a disappointment, especially if SU loses in the Garden in, like, the Sweet 16 or loses in Buffalo beforehand. That That's not acceptable. And that's and I'm saying that as a fan, but I'm, I, I, I guess I'm speaking more for the players and for Bayheim to say, hey, we did all that. We went all the way through this ACC. We did all this great, fantastic work. And to play this close to home and not be able to get out of Buffalo or not to be able to get to the Elite Eight when we're playing in New York City, that's a disappointment. As a fan, it's disappointing whenever they lose. Um, but maybe just from their perspective, that I think would be a big disappointment. If Syracuse loses in the Final Four of the National Championship game, nobody should be upset. Nobody should be. That's awesome to get to that point. That's just simply awesome to get to that point, and it's so difficult to do. What do you think? What, what's your thought, John? Uh, I mean, honestly, um, I, I, I kind of need to see what happens on Saturday first. I mean, you know, I'm not, not even topping out. I'm just I'm going to have two different answers until I see what happens on Saturday. This has been... Um, Is that the biggest game of the year? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, at this point, like I, the Virginia game matters more 
in terms of national perception, but this matters more in terms of where we want to go this season and where our final destination is. If we win that game um, and don't experience any more surprises in the regular season, um, and, and based on the, the level of competition, I don't think we should. Uh, but then again, I've been surprised at this team before. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I think that beating Virginia, you know, all but wraps us up for the ACC regular season championship. And given the fact that we did start at 25-0, it seems like seems like it would be very hard to shake us off that one-seed line, considering we, we pretty much have an automatic bid to the ACC quarterfinals and a potential matchup with, you know, any number of downtrodden, like, bubble teams in the ACC in that game. Um, but, you know, if we honestly lay an egg against Virginia, like, I, I think all bets are off. Like, I mean, this becomes a team now struggling to stay, to stay on the one line. Um, you know, they're, we've discussed it before, this is a really deep um, tournament. I, I think, I know we said a couple of weeks ago that there's only really a couple of teams that can win it all. I, I don't believe that anymore. I, I think I think that there are truly, like, 15 teams that, that, that could be in that Final Four. I think that there are 15 teams out of those that, that, that could potentially, you know, win it all. Um, and... I'm not going to consider us lucky for being there. I think if if we play the way we've been playing the last two weeks, I think we consider ourselves lucky for being there, and we might lose a couple fellow fans along the way, <laughs> like due to due to various health abnormalities caused by this team's like you know pension for last second play. But um, at the same time, like you know, looking at the first 25 games, like this is a team that, and people said in the comments, a team that could very that could lose to any team or beat any team, and like. It's thrilling and horrifying at the same time. Um, to me, um, I, I I think it's Final Four or bust at this point. Um, I've I've been one that, although I've mentioned our status in the world, is just outside that that, that elite program group. Um, I, I think the the best way to to join that group is to tell yourself it's Final Four or bust. Um, but we also need a resume to back that up and, and the history to back that up. And making two straight Final Fours would be a perfect way. The kind two battle fours and and our trip to the or you know join the ACC together um, would really be a kind of great resume booster and a confidence booster for us as fans to say okay like the the new the new standard is final four I mean we've made the elite eight each of the last two seasons and we made one final four out of those I, I think it's time to up our game as a fan base I think it's time to up our game as a program. Um, Given how we started and given how talented this team actually is, aside from execution of the last two weeks, this is this is a team that absolutely should be playing in the final four. And if they're not, I'm it's gonna take a lot for me not to be like extremely disappointed. I agree with you. I I'm could not I'm not when I say elite eight, I'm not at all <laughs> you know, elite eight or bust or whatever. I don't know. I don't have that one track mentality. I, I definitely understand all the points that you made on the final four. It makes perfect sense to me that given everything that's happened and given the last couple of years, especially that final four is a destination for this team. I, I get that for me personally. I think elite eight at least gets you to that point just because we all know how hard it is to get to the final four. I'm cool with it being, at least have the opportunity to get to that point because it's such a crapshoot. But, again, like you said, there's 
all the talent and all this, you know, I think that's kind of come together. And this, for some reason, and I don't know why, but people want to apologize for Syracuse winning so close. But to me, that's just BS. It, a win is a win is a win. And nobody in Syracuse Orange should be apologizing for being 26-2. and two. That is amazing. And it is one of the best teams in the country. And therefore, if you are the one of the best teams in the country, then without question, you should be playing for the Final Four in the championships. So I totally agree with you. Me personally, I guess just because maybe that's the pessimistic side, I think that would be a Final Four or bust makes perfect sense to me. So I guess, you know, I think we've talked about kind of future-looking stuff. But going back, um, you know, these last three games, and and we'll, we'll, we'll leave out, you know, the pit game from this conversation. But going back the last few games, um, what has been most excruciating for you as a fan? Because honestly, like I, I could, I could pinpoint any number of seven to ten moments from the BC game, from the Duke game, from the Maryland game that just just brought me back to just really terrible times as a fan of this program. And and you know what? Like just just really shook my kind of faith that this team is headed to the Final Four. I know we're not supposed to put more stock into February wins and losses than November wins and losses but at the same time. Like, there's just a lot of glaring issues at this point that really, really rattled me um, in terms of, like, where I see this team going. Yeah. I mean, that's that's all. The first 25 games of the season, we all said, hey, the national media may have a point, but they're just ganging up on us. And then that Boston College game, there's just no... There's no explanation that was the most inexplicable loss I've ever seen. And we've all seen a number of SU losses that make you scratch your head or put your head to your desk or whatever it may be. But that one to me was just unbelievable. No defense to come away with that to me anyway and say, well, this is the reason Syracuse lost. Um, And I think that speaks to the bigger issue. And it was exposed a little bit again last night against Maryland, or a couple nights ago against Maryland, that Syracuse, and again, Coleman is out, and that's something that people, I got into a Facebook war today. People don't understand how big of a deal it is for Syracuse not to have Daywan Coleman. He's not a 12 and 10 guy, but he was a guy that would give you minutes. He was, in fact, a true, legit starter, and he was five more fouls, and he was rushed for Keita or for Christmas or even for Grant or whomever else. So that's a big loss. There are reasons to why Syracuse, struggles in games, and I think fatigue is a big issue for, again, a ton of reasons. But in that BC game, going back a little bit, I thought, I actually said out loud, to no one in particular, I guess, at the time, but in the first half, it was like a two-point lead for BC, or maybe Syracuse. Maybe Syracuse was up like a bucket or two. And another turnover, and I just was like, man, you know what? I hope Syracuse loses this game. And I said it out loud, and then I instantly thought, you know, I really don't want that. And, of course, Syracuse ended up losing. And that's the most frustrating thing is that the Syracuse loses at home against a really bad BC team that's going to fire its coach. I think at the end of the year, Donahue is done. I don't think there's much question about that, which is totally inexplicable. And then Syracuse goes on the road in a hostile environment against a Duke team that could end up ultimately winning it all. Without question, Duke could win it all this season. 
And Syracuse had every reason in the world and every right in the world to win that game. And we all know what happened with the bad call. And, you know, whatever happened from that point forward was altered by that bad call. But if that goes in and they call a foul, the right one, fair shoots a free throw, maybe Syracuse escapes with a one-point win. Maybe it goes to OT and actually loses. I don't know what happens, but the fact that it was that close is very infuriating to me because a team that loses at home to BC should not be able to turn it on and almost win or rightfully win at Duke. It was just so just a, a, a massive juxtaposition between one game to the next game. And just 10 years ago, 20 years ago, Syracuse would not even be, maybe not 20, well, maybe 20, 15 to 20 years ago, Syracuse would not compete in Cameron. With whatever was happening with the program at that time, Syracuse would have lost by 10 to 20 points. But legitimately, Syracuse had every reason to believe it could win and should have won at Duke on Saturday. So that, to me, is the most frustrating, that you it's, you can say, well, okay, that's true, but to actually watch it on a consistent game-by-game basis just makes me want to pull my hair out. I don't – how is that possible? But it is possible. It is true that this continually happens. Last night, on the road, after a tough game at Duke just 48 hours earlier, Syracuse so gets up 12 points. And, you know, against the Maryland team that's not bad at home, that shoots the ball well at home, that, to me, was mind-blowing. And then, of course – they couldn't hold on to it, and it was another one of those heart stoppers. It's just the the inconsistency is annoying to me, and the fact that they continually do show how good they are at just like very incremental moments is even more frustrating. This team is not bad. It just plays really bad, but it does play really well, and it shows you this team is really good, and that just makes me so angry. Yeah, I, I think that that really gets to the, the heart of it. It's that the team shows shows it can capture defeat from the jaws of, of victory and victory from the jaws of defeat in equal measure. Um, I mean, at, at this point, and we're going back all the way to February 1st now, with, with really, like, besides the Clemson game, which was fairly well in hand um, with about four minutes to go, um, but we're looking at um, just a, a slew of just terrifying games that just, showed everything that was good and bad about this Syracuse team. Um, I, I said it after the Pitt game, after the NC State game. Um, I was happy to get the win, but um, it was one of those things where th- this team and this fan base is starting to bank on those types of things happening, uh, these last-second steals and last-second blocks and last-second shots. Um, and, and those aren't things that, that you can bank on in the tournament every single time. Like, no no luck isn't a statistical uh, you know, measurement, but at the same time, there is there is a certain amount of, like, okay, like, things are going to shift the other way. Um, and, and to me, I guess sh- things shifting the other way in, you know, late February is better than things shifting the other way in March and April, but at what point do we kind of say, okay, like, we're more looking at a team that's probably hanging around, like, like if this type of, type of play had gone a full season, we would have been looking at you know, like a like a 24-win regular season and, like, hanging around like a six-seed. Um, and and, and that's, that's, like, worst, worst-case scenario. But, you know, you look over the results and you see you see the games, like, earlier in the year, the the close call against Miami the first time around and the second time around we went, oh, yeah, you know, well, like, these things happen. Like, the first game against Pitt, um, even, like, most of the, B, the first D.C. game, um, 
the UNC game where that was well in hand the entire time, but yet we really didn't do a great job scoring. And I think, you know, injuries play a role here too. I'm not going to write those off. It's not a factor. I think that they're, they've become a major factor this season. But, um, you know, this style of play is very, like, not not effective and, 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 and very recently in the last couple of weeks not efficient at all either. Um, style of play has really, really started to, to call attention to flaws um, to this team on offense, on, on surprisingly on defense, after, after thinking that this was probably our better defensive team in a while. Um, and, and and I'm curious to see, you know, if we can kind of revert back to some semblance of what we were in the game. Totally agree. <laughs> totally agree. I think I would agree with pretty much any SU fan that's been there and watched it and done that this season. If you are sick of it, if you're happy with it, there's just there's so many reasons to uh, so many arguments to be made that are sound when it comes to this team because it's it truly is just frustrating. The bottom line of it all is frustrating because a game that's in hand quickly goes out of hand, but at the same time it's winning games. So, but you know, it's it's crazy. I've not seen a season like this ever. No one has really. You get get down to. I know 2012 was a, an amazing run for the Big East, but that was not anything like what's happening here. And I don't think that's related to the ACC. I had a friend of mine on Facebook say, you know, hey, another close win at Maryland, but that's a good win. The ACC is tough. You guys are kind of figuring it out. I don't think the ACC is exceptionally tough, at least this season. And I think in years past, I've not felt that way either. It's usually top heavy, and. You know, I don't. I think this is more of a microcosm of the entire landscape of college basketball. That Syracuse is better than probably 98 or 99 percent of the teams out there. It's just better by like a hair or so. It's not. There's not a huge line of demarcation between all these teams. It's it's small, and luckily for Syracuse, it's on the right side of the that equation. Whereas teams like Kansas or Duke or whomever else has three, four, five, six losses. SU has two because. It's just better than the other teams by just a hair. I definitely agree with you there. I think that it does go to show like the entire, um, just like it's atmosphere parity, the whole deal um, in college basketball, and how you know that gap that used to exist between the top teams and the bottom teams isn't really as big as it once was. I think the talent pool is a lot bigger. It's a lot more diverse, and I think that that kind of shows, like, you know, that's why you have such a really, like, deep and soft bubble um, this year. Going to end up seeing, and I don't necessarily agree with that theory of there's 16 or 20 teams that can win the title this season. I, I think there's probably more like six or eight, but I do think we're going to see some massive upsets on the first full weekend of the tournament. And I know that's not this crazy prediction at all. We see it usually... In one form or another, we'll see a few of those anyway. But this one could be historic, I think, because you're going to eliminate a lot of these teams that aren't necessarily fraudulent, but probably are not worthy of the seed that they're going to get just because of the fault. Like a Michigan State team is probably going to end up with like a three seed or something even lower. And Michigan State, if healthy, will probably still play in the Elite Eight at the least. So there's going to be teams that are like two seed, one seed, that probably aren't worthy of that seed that will go earlier than normal. And we always see crazy upsets, but I think this year could be one of those, you know, 
hold on to your butts because it's going to be crazy. <laughs> All right, maybe you don't have to hold on to your butt, but you know what I mean. I'm uh, not encouraged by that. It's only because <laughs> I hope we're not one of those teams that goes down. I agree. I, I agree. I hope so. I hope not. But I think if you look at the numbers and you look at the, you know, I, I'm hesitant to say parity, but if you just look at what's happening, even with BC, a 19-loss team, team beating the number one team in the country, like, for as many people that maybe didn't believe in Syracuse, nobody thought a 19-team team, 19-loss team would lose or would win I'll get this right, would win at Syracuse. It just it didn't make any sense. But when you look at the bigger picture of the season, maybe that's a perfect synopsis of what's happening right now. Great. I guess we'll uh, hop into some beer before we kind of refocus for the second half. Uh, Matt, what have you been drinking for the last week? Well, I haven't had a much, uh, too much of a chance to actually – um, get out and get much. I, really, it's been the Sam Adams um, mix pack. And uh, I'm trying to think right now. Well, I'd say Sam Adams. You know, actually, uh, um, I got a Boston Lager 12, and then I did have a mix, but more or less, it's just been a lot of Sam Adams. I have not had a chance to do much in the way of good craft beer drinking lately. So a lot of Sam specifically the Boston, because that's always my favorite if I'm just kind of off the cuff thinking of something or, or you know, out at the store or whatever, and I, there's not a great selection, I'll just get the Boston Lager, because to me, that's always an easy choice. And uh, in the fridge now, that's basically all that's really there. So, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to get around the world, at least around the country, when it comes to good crafts, but can't really go wrong with Sam. Yeah, I mean, I never have an issue with uh, with Boston Lager. I mean, I'm not gonna gonna actively seek it out, but I'm not gonna necessarily uh, complain when it's there. It's, it's understandable whether you're at a party with uh, folks who are really into craft beer or not. Um, it, it's an easy buy, um, and it's something that you're you're rarely gonna go wrong with. So for me, it's not. It's, it's never something that I'm gonna push about. Um, on this end. A decent amount of things last week. Um, I've, I've sworn off drinking Magic Hat number nine during games because Syracuse has lost the last four games in which I've done that. So we're not doing that anymore. Um, luckily, I got to do a couple of trades um, that, uh, that scored me some, some great East Coast beers. I've had uh, Bell's Hop Slams and uh, Treg's Nugget Nectar. Um, Bell's uh, Double IPA uh, Nugget Nectar is a... Uh, Double red, really hoppy, um, both absolutely delicious. Um, they don't really get out here uh, to California, but was lucky enough to procure them from the East Coast. Um, check out some Avery Maharaja IPA as well as uh, Hot Flood from Evil Twin, which is a, a very hoppy amber. Um, and Hot Flood should actually be able to find, um, say, with just as much, if not more, frequency on the East Coast. Um, as you would out here. Uh, so yeah, a lot of, uh, it's like kind of springtime here, so definitely diving back into, for me at least, um, springtime means more IPAs, and uh, it's not that I ever stop really drinking them, but 
it means more IPAs and like some more more IPAs with, with some floral type notes and citrusy notes. Um, that's where like my, my standbys, things like Razor 5 and uh, Sculpin and uh, Wolf Among Weeds from Golden Road come in. And at some point soon, at least here in the Northeast, we'll have spring. So they'll all come together and fit. Apparently we're getting rain here on Thursday, which is which is which is a welcome sight because it's only rained about four inches in the last like fifteen months out there. Yeah, that must be horrible. You know, I mean, it sounds great in theory, but then there's like certain like concerns about drought and yeah, you got to worry about the droughts. It's uh, we had two consecutive days where it didn't get out of fifteen or higher than fifteen degrees. And tonight we are in another lake effect snow warning where we could get up to a foot and a half. Actually, technically, I think it's, yeah, it's a foot and a half. So this winter will not end for us. It's it's awfully fun. I feel like I'm right now in the middle of the shining. That's not ideal. No, it's not. I've got my axe in my hand, and I'm out ready to start chopping doors down. So There it is. I'll also note that uh, while Dan wasn't able to join us this week, um, if he can join us next week, he can fill us in on the... Uh, he went to a stone brewing cask event oh, I saw in New York City Saturday. Yeah, he was... Uh, he and I were talking about just a couple of different beers you got to check out. Um, some real, like, great cask-only releases um, from Stone that I'm sure he'll be able to shed some cool light on. So, uh, back to Syracuse support. Um... I guess we should spend a couple of minutes talking about the Bayheim ejection. I mean, what happened now? Kind of like the biggest sports story of the past like week. Ugh. And I loved it personally. Like, I mean, I love the passion. I love the reaction. I love that he's owned the shit out of this. I, I was just such a big fan. I mean, I, I, w- I wish I would have been able to laugh while it was happening because I was just so irate. Just like every other fan, but um, yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was well deserved. And I, as I mentioned on the blog, I'm not going to call out CJ because it is what it is. Like you're senior, do whatever the hell you want. But I don't necessarily. I was never a big fan of anyone kind of pointing fingers after the game, and I wasn't a big fan of of the commentary that he had after the game. Well, you know, for as honest as Beheim was about that call in that situation, Fair was as honest in the aftermath of it as well. You know, he's asked a question, he answered honestly. and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Um, I, there's there's just so much with this, you know, with, with what Beheim did. I personally, the call was wrong. And it was a wrong call, and Beheim was absolutely right to point out that that was the wrong call. The official was absolutely right to kick him out because Beheim screamed BS to his face basically from midcourt on. That official, Green, Tony Green, had no choice in the world other than to give him two T's and get him the hell out of that arena. And I'm fully aware of all of that. For me, the unfortunate thing is, and it's twofold, and I guess backtrack just a little bit more. Beheim did cost Syracuse a chance at at least attempting to win that game. I don't think he cost them the win 
because I think Bay, or I think Duke up two inbounds the ball. You take off about a second and a half till there's a foul. I think Duke probably hits two free throws, and that ends the game. People are right, though, to point out that Duke had missed a ton of free throws that game. And Tyler Ennis, just a week ago or two, a week and a half before that, had hit a three at the buzzer to win. So to say that he couldn't hit a 35-footer to force overtime, you know, is incorrect. I, I fully believe that Beheim cost at least the attempt at winning. But in all reality, that game was done with that call. I, I, I don't like the way it went down. I do, like you say, I like the passion of Beheim. I don't like the way it went down. I think going forward, the bigger problem for me is that it moves the attention on the foul, foul away from the official being wrong and puts it more on Beheim. And you said it, and we've talked about this. The national media has just licked itself all over talking about this call. But when they talk about the call, they talk about Beheim's reaction. They don't necessarily dive into or delve into why that was the wrong call. And that's a problem for me because last season the block charge call was just routinely 99% of the time called wrong. The off season comes around and they show highlights of Brandon Schrich's final four wrong call. And they tell all the officials how to call a block or a charge. And that official green got that call wrong. I, he got that call wrong. And that's the problem here is that with all the training in the off season, all the videos, all the discussion, that was still the wrong call. And it's kind of unfortunate that Bayham's reaction and I understand why, but it's unfortunate that Beheim's reaction has superseded all of what we should be talking about, and that is even with the summers of training and even with all of the season to this point, that in a huge game, probably the second biggest, maybe the biggest game of the year, in that spot, in that moment, it's bang, bang, the official got it wrong. And that's a problem. I, I, that's, that's huge, and that should be talked about, you know, the talking heads, and Kornheiser and Wilbon don't want to get into the minutia of rules, and that's fine. So let them talk about Bayheim. But for the college basketball person, the aficionado, the people that cover it, they shouldn't be talking about how that call was wrong, and that's the bigger story. Yeah, I, you know what, like, we kind of said it afterward, like, it seemed like everyone was kind of rallying around us, and then, and then it became this kind of half-and-half half split um, and you had, you know, you hacks like Jay Williams who, like, you know, completely misconstrued the story over and over again because that's how you, you know, create nonsensical controversy. But I, I just think that, you know, Beheim is really great about it. And I forgot who said this, um, but it was on Twitter, it was an article, but, like, it was just so smart of Beheim the way he did things where, you know what, like, we weren't winning that game, so now you draw attention to a terrible call at the end of the game that really was, like, a, a one of the, a, the most critical juncture you could find. Um, and, and even afterward, complaining about that specific call instead of, and, and praising the officiating otherwise. So, so what he did was kind of change the narrative, and he, he spoon-fed the media narrative of this specific call was made wrong at the most critical juncture in the game. And, you know what, like, it's not exactly baiting the media because it was true, but you know some some were willing to to buy it and others weren't. And those who weren't, kind of, you know, I mean, Sean kind of went over these in, in that article uh, from Tuesday. 
just about, you know, all the quote-unquote hot sports takes uh, on on Beheim, and, and just all these, like, just nonsensical opinions that, that instead of talking about what the issue was, it was a completely botched call at the end of the game. Just focusing on, and you're in sports, and I'm getting angry, and, like, you know what? Like, I, I just, I, I don't understand how how the focus could have been on anything but but what the call, like, I, I, it was, if it was a no call, it was a no call, we still got the basket. And you yeah. Know, I would have been fine with that, and if we had lost on a last-second Duke shot, then fine, whatever. But, 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 but to lose like that, um, because, because, directly because of, of a box call and not because of anything Behan did, um, just, it, to, to me, it, it, it's not exactly fair, it's not exactly right. Um, there's, there's very little that I can do as a fan um, or, or as someone who regularly commentates on basketball um, on the Internet to, to to sit there and say, this makes sense to me as, as, as someone watching a game. Yeah, I, I think that, in my opinion, that Beheim was wrong for doing what he did. I think, and, and we've all seen Beheim for years and decades and certainly I've you know had my share of nearly three that I I just I was shocked I don't know what you were doing John at that point but it was like I just I was in total shock that he reacted that way I was so upset with that call and I had already I say it in your basketball roundtable I had burned my leg significantly actually two legs have burned significantly I cannot explain why it's too embarrassing but that call just just poured me but then to watch Bam's reaction, I just—it was like out of body experience. I just—this is happening. This is Bam. This is Syracuse. This is real life. It just didn't even—I I couldn't even compute all of it. And I think that's unfortunate because if Bam doesn't react that way, and I guess it's kind of twofold. If Bam doesn't react that way, Duke shoots free throws in a second or two later, and, and it wins the game, and everyone just says, "Oh, what a great game!" and moves on. Um, so maybe I'm wrong in this. You know, maybe that's, I guess, the counter to it. But I would like to think that we live in a world where he loses his mind a little bit to the point where he says, yo, that's bull, and the official looks at him, and Bam says, you know it's bull. And then the official says, get away from me, and then they kind of part ways, and there's no tease. Then, you know, just get your point across that way. I don't know. I just, I see I see all the sides with this one. It's so confounding. It's so crazy. But I just think that the the point here should be, and I think we all can agree, there's this, uh, officials are not good. The college official, I wrote a thing on it in Sean's site last week, and for whatever it's worth, I'm not an expert, but we need changes to the way that college basketball is officiated. We just simply do. It's not working. We don't have the right people on the court. They're not properly cha- trained, and they're not properly held accountable. And that call forever will be not held in true accountability. I know the ACC says, well, we're not going to determine anything. It's, you know, it's what, what's done is done. They're not going to punish Beheim. They're not going to punish the official. And that's fine. But not just that call, all calls. It's just, we need something, something better, something different. And narrative going on right now, especially amongst, among the CBS reporters, that, Coaches are too hard, too harsh, too much on officials. 
and I've seen that, I think, Pat Forty, I think, you know, going Yahoo and ESPN and CBS, there's this narrative that, like, oh, well, the the, the coach is the bad guy. Rather than saying, yeah, no, the officials are the problem here. They're wrong. They're bad. They're just so routinely bad. And I have, that's what speaks to me, and that's kind of the unfortunate part with Bayhan's reaction is because it's just way too easy to talk about Bayhan, but it's much more difficult, I guess, to talk about the real problem, and that is these officials flat out stink, and there's way too many of them that flat out stink. When the spotlight shines bright, they burn up. We saw that in a number of games this season, specifically in the second Pittsburgh game. That crew was god-awful, and Pitt fans should feel the same way. Syracuse fans should feel the same way. That crew was awesome, and we've seen that a ton, uh, forever. But I think more three years that it's just there's a real epidemic in college basketball, and it's not Beheim flipping out or coaches flipping out. It's officials not knowing what the hell they're doing. Yeah, I, I, I really think you know, like you said, your your article from last week, and then you know, I think we're all making just impassioned pleas now. Of, of, I don't even care if it's my team or not. I, I just get the, get, get the right calls and, and let's let's officiate this game fairly, um, you know, across the board. You just you can't have rules that are only enforced when you feel like it. And and it's kind of you know it's it costs a really good team a game potentially on Saturday night and I mean God forbid catches it, it does the same to another team on an even bigger um bigger stage. I, I would hate to see a national championship or a final four game. I mean we saw last year with Trish. Um, I, I would hate to see a game of that much importance decided by a botch call. If you have a rule, make it a rule. If it's not, then it's not. And and, and don't don't kind of, you know, bounce around between whether whether it's an actual rule or whether it's just a when you feel like it enforcement. Because to me, you know, the, the latter doesn't exist. Yeah, totally agree. There's, it's just, there needs to be like this uniform overhaul of what is acceptable and not acceptable when it comes to officiating college basketball because it's not good. It's just, it's just not good. And that call, you can put that call wherever you want to in the you know annals of good or bad calls. But just in general, any college basketball fan from any school, Duke included, and they would go to Syracuse and say, "Well, what about the game? What about the block with Christmas?" That's fine. You include anything you want. These officials flat out stink. And I don't care if that sounds like I'm making excuses, because I really am not. Syracuse is 26-2. and two. It's not because of the officials. The two losses were not because of the officials. The game that we watch, it's not what it used to be. There's a ton of flaws with the game, but there's a lot more flaw, or there are a lot more flaws with the officials. And for some reason, I guess that's too easy of an excuse or too easy of a narrative to say, so everyone else wants to poke, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? Fine. You explore those areas. The real problem is the officials. They stink. Syracuse did not lose that game because of one bad call. There were a ton of plays that Syracuse could have done better. And Beheim's reaction was bad. Syracuse didn't lose because of that play. But when you watch basketball from tip to buzzer on any given night, including tonight, you can point out a million flaws with these officials, and it just, and to me, it's getting worse. And I think we need uniform change to get it better. Uh, I'm completely on board with that. I'm curious. I mean, 
if nothing else, you can criticize Beheim or whatever. But I, I do really hope that that his freakout on on Saturday, which again was completely um, completely warranted, um, I do hope that that it at least it at least calls um, attention to you know what, what really is a severe problem. Um, Getting past that, and again, hopefully, you know, we don't have to discuss the referees again. Um, your quick thoughts on Virginia? Um, what do you think? Um, I guess which Syracuse team do you think shows up? You know, that's such a, that's the million-dollar question. I don't know if anyone knows the true answer. I'll say this: I think Syracuse wins this game, and for whatever reason in the world, I do think Syracuse wins. And I think that Virginia is the perfect team for Syracuse to play this late in the season because Tony Bennett, I think, is a very good coach. I think Virginia has some talented players, but they don't shoot the ball for anything. They milk every single shot clock. You know what? In all reality, Virginia is just like every damn team Syracuse has played in the ACC this season. So if you think, well, because Virginia is number 12 in the country or because it has kind of a gaudy record in conference, that Syracuse can't win, you're wrong. This team does not shoot the ball well. It does not shoot the ball often. And it will play in the 40s and 50s, and that's exactly where Syracuse can play the basketball game. So, personally, I think SU shows up with defense. I think Tyler Ennis continues to show what he did against Maryland and late against Duke. I think that's kind of under-discussed. Ennis did finally show up against Duke, but late. He did it against Maryland all game for the most part. I think that continues. You don't need Cooney to hit a ton of threes. You don't need Benajay to hit a ton of threes. You need everyone to play their game. Just get enough done. And this is one of those games, just like Miami and just like Clemson and Wake Forest, Virginia's better, but it's not that much better. Just play your game, and Syracuse can win this one, especially on defense. I think SU wins. It's a huge game. It's a huge game. But I think Syracuse can, can win this game. When I say easily, I don't mean win by 20. Can muscle and punch and fight and win by two or three or four points in the 50s and walk out with what would probably be a secure number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament and probably the ACC championship. It's not a must win. It's a huge potential game. And there's no reason in the world to think Syracuse can't win it. Yeah, I agree. There. I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Um, you know, the Syracuse team has won that. Um, doesn't has every business being in the game with any team in the country, and also to potentially lose any team in the country. And I just think with uh, Virginia, you know, that they they don't play an overly impressive style. I mean, I was I was admittedly a little a little impressed at how they closed out uh, against uh, Notre Dame. Uh, really, really nice stretch at the end there. But for the most part, um, you know. That that's a team that does play a little disorganized on offense, kind of overly relies on certain players um, to hit shots, and, and that is, is typically what we shut down um, as a defense. I think it really just depends on, you know, you're right, it, it's not about hitting these BS last-second shots. It's not about these last-second fields or any of these, like, wacky plays. It's, it's Syracuse has to play its, its first, like, full team game and probably since February 1st and, and just needs to understand that, you know, like, Stop banking on wacky things to happen and, and have yourselves ready to, to play a full physical game um, and, and find a way to shoot efficiently again. I mean, we, we've just been dealing with, uh, you know, again, tons like 
slow pace is fine if you're shooting efficiently, and we've gone over this, but um, flat slow pace is can can kill you when you're not shooting efficiently. So I think if this team can just figure out a shooting stroke again, stop missing five-foot jumpers or not even bother taking five-foot jumpers, just go for, you know, dunks, actual layups, high percentage shots, um, I, I think we have a chance to pull this out. I have faith, but not nearly as much as I did a week ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm on board with you. I think, I, you know, ultimately I do think SC wins this game, but I totally agree with you as to the faith level of where everyone is at, but I think Shakey's wins. Fair enough. And uh, with that, uh, we are all wrapped up here. Matt, thank you for joining as always. Thanks for having me. Everyone, if you're in the area, check my radio show Friday mornings on Fox Sports Radio in, in the upper northern New York region, Friday 7 to 9. And you heard the man. Uh, for Matt, this is John. Um, this was Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here on the Turing News and Absolute Magician Podcast Network. So go on this weekend. Sir? At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.